When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Mid-American Bandwagon Podcast, episode 93, coming to you live this week. Uh, we've got a special episode this week, a special guest uh, here to talk to you tonight. Vanzi, though, before we get there, uh, check in. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, just I'm, I'm excited for our guest, you know, opportunity to... You know, that, that 2008 Ball State football team, I mean, you know, I was just in my infancy, you know, of, of following Mac football, and that was probably one of the better all-time Mac football teams, so I'm very excited about this upcoming conversation. No doubt, no doubt, and uh, I think, uh, as a quick aside, you know, I, I got a good friend who we always, we always, uh, we have this ongoing debate that could, could a college football team beat the worst NFL team? And I am always adamant that, that that answer is no. However, I will say I do think this 2008 Ball State team probably could beat the Michigan Panthers or the Pittsburgh Maulers both after the performances we saw from our, our teams on, on, on the field this weekend in the USFL. Banzi, what did you think about the Jeff Fisher's squad this weekend? Well, I mean, I got to give a shout out to Terry Myrick. I think he had 10 yeah. tackles, three tackles for loss. Um, he had Jason Garrett. I know people, you know, hey, what does Jason Garrett know? But Jason Garrett said, hey, Terry Myrick's a good player. He's a little undersized. So that, you know, but he's a good player. So that was cool to see. Um, you know, for me, a fan of the Mac, we're used to not having necessarily the greatest quality of football. And it is just what it is. So it kind of felt a little bit like a Mac game um, watching the USFL games. But then part of me was like, well, why are they not playing this on a Tuesday night? Mm. You know, if you put that on on a Tuesday night, it's it's like professional action. That's it. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah, this weekend you had them competing against the NBA playoffs and all that other stuff. So definitely makes it tough. Yeah, we'll see if the Panthers and the Maulers can bounce back this week after uh, some less than inspiring performances there in week one. But anyway, folks, the uh, the uh, the episode or the the, the podcast this week. Um, it's just, we got one long interview here. One, we got a very special guest that Vanzi alluded to it, Ball State, former Ball State kicker, I should say, Ian McGarvey, uh, the, uh, the Ball State kicker from 2007 to 2010. He is the all-time leading scorer in Ball State football history, and uh, obviously he was also an integral part of that 2018 that won 12-0 and won the MAC regular season championship. So Ian was kind enough to join us tonight and talk a little bit about that season and what he remembers, some of his memories, and some of the highlights from that year. So we're going to get right into it. We'll bring Ian in here. Uh, in, a, in just a second here. Friend of the show, a uh, guy who's, if you're, if you're a longtime listener, he's been on before. We're joined tonight by Ian McGarvey, uh, former kicker at Ball State. Not only is he not any kicker at Ball State, but the all-time leading scorer in the history of the Ball State Cardinals football program, kicker there in Muncie from 2007 to 2010. Uh, which included that 2008-2009 uh, undefeated uh, regular season uh, regular season MAC championship team. He's here tonight to talk a little bit, look back on that season, and reflect a little bit with us. Ian, thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. You know, every time um, you know, especially this year, out of all the years that you know, I was there, comes up. It gets so much more difficult to discuss the memories of the things that go on as you get older. Like it, it just, it, yeah, you just, yeah. the details get more broad as you get older, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the brain doesn't lot. work. Yeah the brain, yeah, the brain, yeah. the brain doesn't work quite as much as it used to. Well, yeah, we're, um, we appreciate you joining us and we appreciate you, you know, we, we're, uh, we're interested to learn a little bit more from, from your perspective. Someone was there on the ground floor about that special, that magical 2008 season. Still one of the best, if not the best, Ball State football team of all time. And, and so 
let's let's start in. You know, I'm, I'm curious to learn. I want to start first off with going into the season, preseason camp, right? Going into that 2008 season, you're coming off that seven and five finish in 2007. You went to the international bowl, played Rutgers. Obviously you had a lot of guys returning, got Nate Davis at quarterback, a lot of great skill position players, McQuail Lewis, Dante Love, all these guys. What was the feeling like in, in camp going into that year? How high were expectations in the locker room? Can I go back a year earlier? Please. So, you know, you're a freshman coming into college football. You have no idea what's going on. You're just kind of like doing what everyone tells you, you know? And I remember um, very early in fall camp, my freshman year going into the 07 season, the coaching staff and, you know, whatever staff, the athletic department, spending a great deal of time making sure that all of the players have legal passports. And you're thinking, well, yeah, we know that there's a bowl game that requires a passport, but like, what are the odds? What are the odds that we're going to end up there? Well, put it together. I mean, there's 12, like 12 Mac teams. I don't remember how they were at the time. I know we varied between like 11 and 13, 14 and yeah. But what are the odds that we're that, we're that one of the 11? Lo and behold. And, and, and um, you know, the way it worked out that way is just kind of we look back and we're like, wow. Like, you know, there's obviously like sports betting is now a big thing these days. And it just makes you wonder, like, who out there really knows? Because there's clearly people out there who know better than the rest of us do. Like, someone knew, hey, there's a good chance that Ball State's going to end up in the International Bowl this, this winter. We should probably get them passports. Now, I guess, yeah, someone argued, well, a lot of the teams probably did. But, like, in the seat you're sitting in looking out, to me, it was, it, it, like, my teammates and I have looked back and said, like, somebody knew something. And that's kind of cool to think about. Um, and one of the other memories I have just like going into that is, um, that year we got smoked by central who, you know, went on to win the Mac West that year, technically because they lost to don't remember who they lost to, but there was a three-way tie, um, for the Mac West championship. So we ended up being a co-Mac West champion. No, it was, it was just us in central, sorry, co, co between us two, but central won against us. So they got to go to that championship. We knew going into game 12, we needed to beat Northern Illinois to, in fact, it was, I think it was Northern, Northern beat Central that year, but Northern was out of the running. And so we needed to beat Northern Illinois to get a co-share of the Mac West and to a solidify a bowl game because Miami was going into the Mac championship six and six and six. And if they won, then they were bowl eligible and they took ball state out of a bowl game because at this time there were only two Mac guaranteed Mac bowl games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so Miami ends up losing in the Mac championship. So they are now six and seven. And at that time it was a firm. If you have a losing record, you're not going to a bowl game. So obviously not knowing that two weeks before we're sitting here in kind of a driver's seat saying we, if we went at Northern, we're in the driver's seat for a bowl game. Well, um, terrible conditions, freezing cold, um, I second coldest football game I've ever played in with central Michigan, the next year being the worst. Um, one of my best friends who I'm actually going to see this weekend, um, his name's Ray Winkler. He was like the sit, fifth or sixth string running back going into that game. He goes in and he's the fifth option in some sort of passing route. He's the back out, you know, out of the backfield and he's just standing in the backfield wide open. Nate's like, Oh shoot. He doesn't even like check all four of his other options. He sees one, two. Oh shoot. He's open. Duh. Touchdown. Um, team went nuts after the thing saying Winkler for Heisman. Um, Ray was actually a walk-on at the time and Brady Hoke offered him a scholarship following that game for, for putting us into the ball state's first bowl game in however many years, but, um, that was like the prelude. And so kind of like you alluded to Zach, we went into the off season, obviously having a lot of firepower. And I think from the start of that off season through like fall of next year, it was kind of like. It's not something that people talked about, but it was something that everybody like the cards were on. They were out there. The writing was on the wall. If Ball State's going to do it, it's going to be this year. Yeah. Um, And I remember it was kind of funny, like the coaching staff, like trying to make sure that they figured out all the things that were missing to make a championship team. Like, you know, oh, what, what is it we can do to really make sure that nothing messes this up for us, you know? And I remember them trying to organize like team outings and just things that like you've got a hundred guys between the ages of 18 and 21 
And like, they were trying to organize, like, let's have a barbecue with like a hundred guys. And it was just kind of like, yeah, like, this is great. Like we see each other every day. It's, it, it's, you know, it was, they, they were really, they were trying to do everything to make sure there wasn't some sort of single, like look back of like, if we'd have just done this, we would have won the Mac. Right. Sure. And um, there, there was a lot of that going into um, like going through spring ball, going through the break between spring ball and summer. And in summer when we were there, you know, doing workouts throughout the summer, um, just trying to find the little things of like, what else can we do? I also remember. Um, so of course, you know, NCAA rules, I hope I'm not like about to get someone in trouble with the NCAA when I say this. <laughs> Uh, Indiana actually got in trouble for this when I was in college. So like, again, I don't, I'm not familiar enough now with the rules, but the rules back then were you could not force a collegiate athlete to be on campus unless they were taking classes. Um, So like, if you took classes, you were already there, you were working out with your team, but everyone was there working out with the team. Um, Indiana actually got in trouble for that. And I don't know if I'm supposed to know that information, but Indiana university got in trouble because they had players report to the NCAA that the university was making them stay on campus during the summer side lewd. We all hate IU. So, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) So, so again, they're like, what else can we add to the, like the, the volume of summer to really make sure we're getting our best. They brought in yoga instructors. Um, they made us do mandatory like yoga sessions and, you know, it's actually like, I actually would have loved if they had continued that, but they actually stopped that after that season, which I contribute very much to, to Aaron Wellman that actually now strength coach at Indiana university. Um, uh, probably one of the biggest reasons why our team was so successful is, is that man alone. Um, and any player you ask from that team would probably like give that same response. That guy is just so smart. Um, he was crazy. I mean, he's crazy. He, we all, he was there as far as we know at 4 a.m. every day. He would do the workouts that we would do before we did the workout to make sure it was like legitimately sound. And he's also the guy, him and his other assistant, we only had one other strength assistant. They were the ones getting all the equipment ready. And like some of the stuff that we would do on like, especially in the summer, at like the ends of the week, we would do more like outdoor stuff with like tires and ropes and weights. And they were the ones who were putting the stuff where they needed to go. And there's two guys. I mean, that's like a lot of work. I mean, there's a bunch of weights for hundreds of, you know, a hundred, hundred kids. And they're the ones all organizing this at 4 a.m. And we're about to be out there at six. So it's not like it's like a cakewalk to just make sure this all gets set up. Um, but uh, yeah, it just like in general, there was just very much like an un, like a presence of like, we, we knew. And it's one of those things like you don't, you don't talk about it. You just, you go do. And Um, I think the coaches did a really good job of setting high expectations early on. Um, I know that year specifically for me, there was a kicking battle. Um, I had just come off of taking over the field goal kicking duties my halfway through my freshman year. Um, and there were three kickers on the roster that were kind of competing for the starting job. And I would say for the first third to half of fall camp, I hadn't really caught my groove And, um, you know, of course they're putting the pressure on everybody. Like everyone's competing for a starting job. And I, I vividly actually remember there was one day where they'd kind of ruled out one of the guys, um, and not to downplay him. It was Steve shot. Steve was a true freshman who came in, um, highly, highly, uh, uh, recruited and touted high school kicker out of Maslin, Ohio, had a phenomenal high school career at one of the best football high schools in the country, Um, He just, he wasn't quite ready for college football at that point. And that was quickly figured out. So it was between myself and another guy named Jake Hogue, who I had competed with the year before Jake had a big leg, but when he hit the ball, it might go straight. And it also might go like to the gas station a mile that way. Um, Whereas I was never recruited for having a giant leg. My leg was normally like pretty consistent. Like I I was closer to missing than not if I, if I missed, um, there was just one practice. I remember it was like me versus Hogue. And I just, I caught it. Like I caught whatever bug I needed to. And from there on the job was mine. Um, Not only then, but at ball state, it just one practice. It all just like came together. And I remember the night before one thing I loved about Brady Hogue um, night before every game, 
he'd come to your hotel room, shake your hand, give you like a 30 to 60 second pep talk. And, um, I, I, you know, again, you get to a certain age and there's some things you don't remember, but there are some things you do. And I vividly remember him coming into my room, just kind of being like, you have had the perfect fall camp. There's no reason why you shouldn't have, you know, the most successful season as a kicker in ball state history. And of course you're just like, let's go, you know? And, um, so one of, you know, one of the things you mentioned there was Brady Hoke and, you know, we talked a little bit before, you know, you and I are both in Michigan. So the name Brady Hoke carries, you know, some weight in this state. Um, and before I get to, you know, I mean, Stan Parrish recently passed. Before I get to that, I just wanted to ask you, what was it like when Brady Hoke, you know, the, the, like when you guys had that season, was there that thought that he might move on to a bigger job? And what was it like when he left? Because obviously you spoke very fondly of him. Yeah, it's a lot of good things you just brought up there. So during the season, no, that was never a thought. And again, maybe it's just me individually. Maybe other people had the thought, but, you know, obviously the, the bigger thought occurring during that time was you're seven and now you're eight and now you're nine and now. And it's like, at that point, you're playing to not lose versus to go 12 and now, you know, um, I do remember though, that we played the Mac championship and we lost. And I, I, I man, again, this is my memory fading. I I'd swear we had our, our 20, we were, excuse me, 2022. We had our, our football banquet the next day, not the next day, excuse me. We played a Friday, it's a Friday night game, but that Sunday we had our football banquet from the season and at the banquet, the conversations were stirring about Brady Hope going to San Diego state. And it made things slightly uncomfortable um, that this conversation was happening in the middle of a banquet for, you know, uh, a historic season for the university. And it wasn't like, for sure, like, Hey, it wasn't like, Hey, like the news is saying, pass it on. But it was like, someone went, like, people were like looking you know, at, I don't remember if they're looking at phones or whatever, but someone knew something. And especially later that evening, um, people started talking about it. And then at like nine o'clock that night, we got a text message from our position coaches saying mandatory 6 a.m. meeting the next day. At that point, everyone knew what was coming. It was still like not official though. Like I remember being like, yeah, everyone knows what this is. It's on ESPN at this point. Brady Hoke expected to announce tomorrow. He's fulfilling the San Diego state head coaching position. Um, I remember him coming in the next morning and, you know, I, I personally currently am a boss of 18 direct people. And then they have, I oversee a center for kids with autism. I don't know if this is the part's going on here, but I oversee a center for children with autism. And I oversee about 130 to 150 people in total. And I know how difficult it is to be, it can be to communicate things sometimes. And I can only imagine how difficult it was for him to walk in that room and face us like a man. The funny thing is, is, and again, I have the most respect for this man and I would never speak anything negatively about him. Um, Like he came in the room and didn't even say, just so you guys know, like I'm leaving. He knew everybody already knew what was going on. So he just kind of walked in and started explaining himself. I just want to let you guys know that this was the best movement for, you know, myself personally and my career and my family. And, um, you know, I, I thank you guys for everything. And then he basically opened the room up. Did anyone want to say anything? And of course, nobody said a word. So then he specifically called out the captain and said, do you want to say anything? Do you want to say anything? Nobody said anything. And then he walked out and that was it. It was the last time I saw Brady. Uh, not the last time I saw Brady Hook in person, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely, it's it definitely, you, I mean, you even see videos of it online now of coaches having that conversation with their teams. It's never an easy, never an easy conversation yeah. to have. Um, you know, Vansy had brought up there briefly that, uh, you know, obviously Brady Hope goes to San Diego State and the replacement there uh, was, you know, Stan Parrish, who had been the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach there for the couple, you know, a couple of years before that. Uh, obviously, Rest in peace to Stan Parrish. He passed away just just recently, a month or so ago. Um, any 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 memories of Stan Parrish you could talk about with us? Stan Parrish. Um, so uh, Stan, I, I will tell you, Stan loved his quarterbacks. 
Stan loves his quarterbacks. And um, there were two positions I always thought Stan didn't like as much as others. And that was offensive linemen and kickers and sometimes wide receivers. And I'll tell you why. One, if quarterbacks did something right, there were two position groups that could screw it up. Receivers and offensive linemen. (laughs) If receivers dropped the ball, it wasn't the quarterback's fault. It was the receiver's fault. And if the quarterback got sacked, it wasn't the quarterback's fault. It was the lineman's fault. And then if a drive didn't result in a touchdown and also didn't result in points, then it's the kicker's fault. So, you know, you, you can kind of see Stan, Stan was a quarterback's kind of guy. Um, and, and respectively so. He obviously coached, man, I, I'll stop here. I'm an Indianapolis Colts fan through and through. What I'm about to say, I am going to go ahead and apologize to all the Colts fans in the world. But he coached arguably, in quotes, arguably the best quarterback there ever has and was and will be at Michigan. And that man knew what he's do was he doing when he was coaching quarterbacks. Um, and, you know, I was blessed to get to play alongside Nate Davis. Um, you know, I have no ability to grade a quarterback left from right, but there was just things about Nate that, you know, again, I played with Keith Wenning. Um, I have seen good high school quarterbacks such as Donovan McCauley. Um, there were just things Nate did on the field that set himself apart from other quarterbacks. And I'm a man of science. I have a master's degree in behavioral psychology. I'm all about being objective. I don't really have a way to like put it into words, but Nate just had something about him combination of like his arm. Um, I will never forget. He had a throw in the 08 season at IU receiver, miles Tremp, most underrated receiver on our roster that year, big, tall, lanky dude. Um, he actually didn't play. He might've played the next season, but underrated receiver. I'll never forget. Nate rolled out of the pocket to his left threw off his back foot while rolling left. So like put that image into your head and heaved the ball like 60 yards. Miles goes up in a pack of guys and catches it. Um, Just one of the most unbelievable uh, passes I've ever seen. Um, Nate looked slow, but could still move. Um, Again, he was a two, uh, he he could have played division one basketball if he'd have wanted to. Um, There's obviously been a lot of talk about, you know, Nate went to the NFL um, and had chances with multiple teams and why he didn't necessarily, you know, make it, if you will say, yeah, not, no disrespect. He, he made it. Um, but that, that guy just had some skills that, you know, obviously you can be like God gifted some of those things, but Stan, Stan did something, Stan did something right. Um, and then you had Keith come along who I know he, he only had one year with Keith, but if you look at Keith Wenning, from when Keith started, and obviously you don't see Keith winning when he came into camp and Keith when he ended, um, I can only imagine, like Keith went on obviously to have a great NFL career of, of being with the Raiders, uh, not the Raiders, excuse me, the, the Ravens and the Bengals for a few years. You know, God only knows if Stan had been there for a little bit longer and Keith had had him for a little bit longer, who knows what would have happened. Um, Stan was a genius as far as quarterback and offensive mind goes. Um, it was unfortunate that his, his head coaching career lasted, you know, the only two years it did. Um, you know, the, the players are the reason for our, our season. And if I remember, we went two and 10 the year before and then four and eight. And so I remember thinking it was kind of odd, like, okay, yeah, you had one really bad year, like y'all, but you just won a championship. Like, it's not uncommon to see a team kind of just like, especially it's college football. We just graduated like the class of seniors, like the class of classes of seniors and to go two wins. Like, yeah, we have to rebuild. And then it's not like the year after that, he did another two year season. He went to four. So it's like, okay, let's do the math. Next year. He's probably going to be at six wins. Well, guess what? Coach Lembo comes in and what's their record the final year, six and six. Who's to say that Stan Parrish doesn't have the same or a better record. I personally don't think Stan was given a long enough tenure at Ball State. Um, Coach Parrish and I like really didn't see eye to eye at times. There were times I felt that he was pretty harsh on me um, as a kicker. Um, I will tell you, though, that 
in all of the things that he did that didn't necessarily like I didn't love as, as an individual player. Like, and I don't mean for all the players, but I mean, specific to me, um, he was hard on kickers. He, he just was. And, um, but, uh, uh, the day that I walked out of that locker room for the last time, he put his arm around me and said, I expect to see you in an NFL rookie camp this year. And it was just kind of like, maybe this guy doesn't hate me after all, you know? Um, but the unfortunate part was that was the year of the lockout. So there were no NFL rookie camps. So it was kind of like, mm. Oh, <laughs> but no, that's not, it just, uh, I, you know, rest in, rest in heaven, coach Parrish. He did a lot for the game of football and specifically in Indiana. Um, I believe he took Wabash, which is a, a division three school in Indiana, all boys school in the state of Indiana, very, very well known for college football. Um, he took them to a national championship. Um, he, he just did a lot of other great things. He, he had his moments as a head coach, but he really was just, I mean, balls to the wall, pardon my language, but balls to the wall, quarterbacks and offense. Um, like, okay, let's 08 year. Some of the stuff he came up with Nate and Dante was just mind blowing. And I remember, I actually, this is again, things you, th- you remember you're a kicker on the sideline. I swear I watched a lot of practice because you know, as a kicker, there's not a ton that you're doing. You have field goal period, maybe once a day, you have kickoff twice a week. Um, so it's not like I wasn't watching the other things going on. I don't remember seeing some of these trick plays that we ran on game days. Um, and I remember the ones where we had the Nate and Dante throwbacks and I'm just like, this was never practiced. Where did this come from? Clearly it was practiced somewhere. I just never saw it or I, I don't know, but, um, Guy was a, a magical offensive mind. Uh, he really was. So um, he'll be missed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Um, so some of the big games from that year, you know, Indiana, you know, anytime Ball State or a, you know, smaller Indiana school can beat a Big Ten school like Indiana, that's a big deal. What do you remember about that game? You know, it was kind of the game where it announced you guys to the national audience, you know, Mac school over a big 10. What was that game like for you? So I, you, um, I remember, so I'll go back to 07. We played at Indiana. We had, so, okay. I'm going to jump back even further. The year, two years before that in 2006, Indiana came into ball state. Um, I don't remember what the quarterback's name was, but he went down. And Kellen Lewis was the quarterback for IU at the time. And that was his first like game for, for Indiana football. And it wasn't really a breakout game, but the other guy had, had, I think he like broke his leg, something pretty severe. And Kellen Lewis was the next guy in. I think he was a true freshman, big recruit. Um, and IU beats Ball State by like two points. And Ball State had actually missed a field goal that game that would have given them the win. I also remember terrible weather conditions, um, and it wasn't an issue with the kicker because Brian Jackson that year was Mac special teams player of the year was 17 of 19 on field goals actually ended having, ended up having one of the most historic kicker careers in arena football. Um, fun fact, two of ball States alumni have two of the most historic records as a kicker in the arena leagues. Kenny Stucker, um, was a kicker back. Oh, I don't remember what years he was at ball state is the all-time leading scorer in the arena league. And then Brian Jackson before me, um, Brian had a like not big leg. He was never going to be NFL material, but I, I was pretty accurate. Brian, after he left ball state was accurate. He, he could throw a dart. Um, he had a very successful arena career. Um, Brian is actually one of the more successful kicking coaches in the country at this point. He's very well known, gets a lot of kids into college. He's got a ton of Twitter followers. Um, good guy. He's doing things right. Um, but anyways, so ball state barely loses to Indiana at ball state by like two points. 
of course, when colleges play these games, they write these contracts and it's like, oh, like we'll each play each other like two times, two times at your place, two times at our place. So at the time, um, I believe the contract was written so that it was two and two. So two times at Ball State, two times at Indiana. So in 2006, the game was played at Ball State. IU barely loses, or excuse me, barely wins. 2007, IU beats Ball State um, at IU. And they had Tracy Porter and, uh, again, rest in peace. I forget, James Hardy? Hardy? Yes. From Fort Wayne. He passed away a few years back. Um, that guy was, a, he had three touchdowns in the second quarter, which like sealed that game for them. Um, actually first, first play from scrimmage of that game. They kicked, we kicked off to them first play from scrimmage, Kellen Lewis interception to Eddie, was it Eddie Burke? Yeah. Eddie Burke. Um, so like in that game, we're like on top of the world. Wow. We're going to beat IU this year because we just lost to him by two and we're an even better team this year. Well, then James Hardy came out of the shadows in the second quarter and, and the rest was history. Um, we actually had a nice fake field goal in the first quarter of that game. That was actually my first start at kicker that game. And my first play, no, I kicked an extra point. So my second play from scrimmage as a kicker at Ball State was a fake where they snapped it to Tanner Justice, the holder. He rolled out and called fire. I had to go block a Division I All-American defensive lineman. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> How'd that go? <laughs> it's gotta be. Actually, so it's actually funny you say that because there used to be this random website that had footage of this fake field goal. And at one time I could Google a couple of words like Tanner justice, fake field goal, something. And it would come up and I'd show my friends like, look, I blocked this big dude who went to the NFL <laughs> and it's gone now. Um, but after that game, Coach Hoke had, like, asked – he, like, showed the team the film. was like, did you want to block that guy? Luckily, at the time, I didn't – like, you don't, you don't think about it. It's just like, oh, I got to block this guy. Obviously, at the time, I also didn't know who it really was. But his name was Greg Middleton, um, uh, All-American from IU. And, again, we end up losing that game pretty heavily. But the next year, again, we know writing's on the wall. We are the team we are. And Indiana – I, I don't remember much about what Indiana was supposed to be that year. Um, but, you know, we got off to a, I don't know, remember if we got off to a truly quick start, but we got up and, and the rest was history. The obviously, you know, big vivid memory from that game was the loss of Dante Love. Yeah. Dante was, you know, there's a lot of comparison right now about a guy named Justin Hall for Ball State. And I've been watching Ball State football since the minute I left. Justin is an unbelievable athlete. Um, I, I hope he has similar, same or better success that Willie Sneed has had in the NFL. But in my mind, there is no better athlete to have ever gone through ball state than Dante love. Yeah. Um, I think my teammates would agree. Uh, I just, there are things about him. I remember doing like summer conditioning and when the guy ran, it just, it looked like he was like floating. Um, so obviously there were a lot of things that, uh, Ball State knew about its identity going into the 08 season, but one thing we all knew, Dante Love. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember like summer conditioning. I remember watching him run and um, just him running amongst his peers. He just looked like he was like on water, so fast. Um, and on top of that, was the nicest guy you've ever met and the best teammate. There are, you know, obviously again, ball state mid major school, uh, you know, who knows how it is at some of these bigger schools, but the guy who knew he's the best football player on the team and he didn't act like he was the best football player on the team. The nicest dude, you're a senior, you have no business needing to be friendly to whomever. And he was, he always was. Um, he was a, he was a player's captain. He really was. Um, and I remember, I don't, going into the Indiana game, Dante was in the Heisman voting after three weeks of college football, he was in the Heisman voting, which at the time I think was like the top eight, like the top eight guys of in the voting for the Heisman. Yeah. And the play happened 
and you know obviously everything ensued it was a long time i mean it was a long time and you know everyone knows something serious is happening but you don't know anything going on and it was hard um to like play a football game after that like in the unknown of your not only best player but like best guy on the football team being rushed to the hospital for who knows what we don't know what's wrong you know for all we know he's just broken his pinky and this is precautionary um and so you know we have no idea and we're given no information about it until the next morning when we're back at the football facility and normally um normally Sundays or the day after a game would be um, there'd be three lift groups. You'd have like the non-dress guys, the offense, the defense, and then a team meeting. And of course that was all put to hell because the first thing was a team meeting. Everyone wanted to know what's going on with Dante. And they announced the news that um, he, you know, at the time is essentially paralyzed, like not completely paralyzed, but paralyzed from the neck down. Um, that he showed movement in his extremities, but that he, he would have to relearn to use all of his body parts again. And then from there, um, there was not a ton of communication surrounding his progress. It wasn't like a, a, a daily update of like, hey, this happened, this happened. And, you know, I don't know if it was because of technology back then. Wow, it sounds weird to say back then when that was only like 14 years ago. <laughs> yeah. 13 years ago, 14 years ago. But um, maybe it was just because our focus was on the football season, but uh, there was no like continued talk about like Dante's progress. And the next thing, you know, there's just one day Dante shows up at practice and what can you do, but stop everything that's going on and just like celebrate that this kid is alive. He's walking. Um, and I like, remember, it wasn't like coaches stopped practice. It was like players stopped practice. We were in the middle of something and everyone was like, there's our guy. He's alive. It just like, it's weird to think that these things happen to people and it happened to someone who had one hell of an NFL career in front of him. Again, like we've seen what Willie Sneed has done. Willie deserves everything that he has earned, but Dante deserved that and more. Um, Dante just, he was, he was it. Um, and I know we can sit here and say the woulda, coulda, shouldas, but who knows what would have happened? Would he have gone on to, he, he probably wouldn't have won Heisman, but like, where would he have gone in the voting? Would he have maybe become like the wide receiver of the year, you know, in college football, who knows? He would have been drafted. Um, that's not a doubt. How long he would have played in the NFL. Who knows? Um, I, and again, coming not only having all of these attributes, but also just being this wonderful human being that he was there. There's nobody who deserved it less. And um, I know that Dante has been involved with ball state football since then. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to know that he is doing as well as he is. He's been you know successful in his career and, and he's got a family and that's great. Um, but wow. Who, who knows what would have happened that 2008 year. And Unfortunately, you know, again, no woulda, coulda, shouldas. We we played the rest of the season in his name and, and we did everything we could for him. Yeah, he's for anyone who who wasn't around or didn't follow Mac football closely back in 2000, that back in that era, you gotta look up Dante Love highlights on YouTube. The, the guy was electric. I remember not so it would have been, I think I guess it would have been the 07 season. I remember you guys playing Nebraska, Ian. I remember him having like 200 yards against Nebraska. You guys almost won that game too. So yeah, that's I mean, that's a guy. Anyone who isn't familiar with Dante Love or that name, look him up on YouTube and look at some of his highlights because the, the dude was a player. I, I agree with you, Ian. It's a it was a shame when that happened to him. So obviously, you know, Vansy asked you there about the, you know, the Indiana game, which was kind of the game that announced you guys to the nation. Now, I wanted to ask about one other game because, you know, th- there weren't a lot of close calls for you guys that year. There weren't many close games. I know one, where you're going with this. Yeah, one exception to that was that Central Michigan game. That Central Michigan team was the team that you had, I believe it had been four years in a row they had beaten Ball State. You guys go up to Mount Pleasant. It's a weeknight game. It's cold. 
you pull out the 31-24 victory. Really the only close game you guys had the entire regular season. What do you remember from that game? You know, close is very relative. Um, I remember the Western game after that still being close. Sure, sure. Probably not necessarily score close because, again, I don't know. I don't know what the score was. But in the mindset of, like, we – we're 11 and 0. We can't lose. And every game up to that, every touchdown seems less close. Like you might be up by 14, but to you, that's still too close, you know? Sure. And um, that was the coldest football game I've ever played. I actually <laughs> yeah. still have spots on my calves where hair doesn't grow because of standing next to heaters trying to stay warm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they had like these little, you know, again, mid-major school, who knows what technology there was back then, but like these little heaters that just blasted a heat out of a hole this big. So the closer you stood to it, the one spot of your body was going to take the heat, you know? And, um, I, uh, obviously that was the Antonio Brown era. Yeah. And I remember Central Michigan coming out in these bright gold jerseys that they'd never worn before. Bright gold jerseys, maroon pants. And it's just like, game on. Yeah. You know? And, and I think when you do something like that in a game like that, you know one of two outcomes are happening. One, you're going to upset a team that you shouldn't beat. Or two, you're going to get waxed. And I think the the middle happened. And so it was just kind of like a waste of them using those jerseys. And I don't know if they ever wore gold jerseys like that again. Maybe recently they've like reintroduced them back, but those specific gold Russell jerseys, because Central used to be a Russell team. I don't know if they wore those Russell jerseys ever again. Um, that was the Dan LaFever and Antonio Brown era. Um, Dan LaFever, I mean, you can't give more. There were a lot of actually good, I mean, really good football players on that central team, but obviously everyone knows the two Dan LaFever. And of course, who doesn't know Antonio Brown for way more reasons than we all care to know. But um, that game, um, I remember going into that season and we, as a, so specifically for me as a kicker, we were trying to start at the end of the season, kick away from guys we didn't want to kick to. And you can design your kickoff team multiple ways. And, and I obviously appreciate this as a special teams coordinator. Um, but we essentially at, uh, from what I remember all year, we're like, Oh, we're going to like kick the ball left. And so when you do that, everyone's got an individual assignment, but like I'd go out there and change the direction based on who was returning. And so essentially players had to know two different jobs. If Ian calls left, I got to do this. If Ian calls right, I got to do that. Um, and of course you can imagine that against central Michigan, my ass is going out there. Where's Antonio Brown. We're kicking it the other way. Right. And so I- I'm not going to lie. I've gone on social media before and joked about like, Haha, he never scored on me. It's because I never kicked to him. <laughs> yes. Um, who probably did. He probably didn't have that great of kickoff return stats because nobody would have, but uh, it was freezing cold. Um, I don't have a, I, one of my best memories is one of my best friends dressed up in a, a gorilla costume and got on ESPN. Um, I just remember it being cold late and one hell of a celebration. And the worst part was it was one of those where like, you knew this was probably the biggest win of the season because of central status against us. But knowing you still had one more and you hadn't really closed this out because again, like, yeah, you're, you're 11 and 0, but if you lose next week, you're out of the MAC championship and it's literally irrelevant that you've won 11 games. Um, and that was probably another difficult part of that season was the MAC West for us was very full the last few weeks of the season. And um, there was no letting off the gas when you, when your goal is to play in the MAC championship, like, you can't let you let your foot off the gas when your three biggest games are the last three seasons of the year. I'm pretty sure our last four games of the, uh, or excuse me, last four games of the year were Miami, Northern, Central, Western. So the last three were all like the three biggest neck games of the year. 
And losing any one of those was like, you're done. Anything you've done before this is completely irrelevant. So it added even more weight to what we were doing. And again, putting the whole like, yeah, you're 10 and 0, but any loss ruins your season. So winning that, that central game. And again, you know, that was a third, it was a Thursday night game. And one of the, actually the funniest things is um, God love ball state. You'd think you've got a nationally ranked football team on ESPN on a Thursday night. They have student buses that they have somewhat uh, I wouldn't say they didn't pay for them but they funded a little bit to get students to go to the game and we still had to go to class the next day and we didn't get back until 5 a.m. Oh man. Let alone, you didn't cancel classes for students. You still made the football players go to class on Friday when their bus got back at 5 a.m. It's a long day. Chirp, chirp. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I, I made that drive to Mount Pleasant from southeastern Michigan. I mean, I can't imagine from Indiana to Mount Pleasant. Where'd you live? Uh, Ypsilanti, you know, southeastern Michigan. So, oh. you know, like, you it's know, like an hour, not and bad. hour and a half. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. So all the way down to Muncie after you're cold and tired. Oh, even worse. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned the Western Michigan game and, you know, Western and central were right there kind of nipping on your heels that season to finally win the, the Mac championship that next week, what is your memory of that game and that moment where you guys finally clinched the Mac title or finally, you know, capped it off the undefeated. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, it central carried so much weight that it's, I mean, obviously that game was not, you know, downplayed by any means. Um, but it's almost like, if again, I'm putting a visual that no one's going to see, but it's like there was a big hill to get over the still big, but not quite as big hill. Um, but you're probably going into the final hill with a little bit less energy than you did with the other hill. Um, just talk about a grind of, again, like a last three or four weeks of the season starting back again with Miami of Ohio. And I guess I, I, I should have put a little bit more emphasis on this. Yeah, they're not considered our division conference foe, but anyone who is a true Ball State fan knows the true rivalry behind Miami of Ohio and Ball State. And I'm going to leave it at that and say that game matters more to a true Ball State fan and a true Ball State football player um, than any just normal conference win. And, and that was a big deal going into Miami and beating them the way we did. And then of course, winning Northern winning central, um, and then Western. And, and again, at that point, whoever you lose to is as ball state, whoever you lose to is probably playing in the Mac championship over you. And Western was still a very talented team that year. Um, I'm pretty sure they had a very touted quarterback, obviously not Nate Davis, but he was still a guy who was expected to make a team next year in the draft. And, um, you know, there's obviously the other stuff going on. For example, as Ball State, we're told that the Orange Bowl committee is going to be in the stands watching the game. And um, you're just trying to drown all of that out, drown out the the pressure of the MAC championship, and just go play another football game. But the five minutes leading up to the end of the game, it was just kind of like we're up. I don't even remember what the score was at this point, but we're up. And it, it's one of those where, like, I don't know if either of you have been in a situation where there's a weight behind winning a game, but there's a certain point when you're winning a game where you know this is done. You can't act like it's done, but it's done. And you can't show it, but it's time to start to embrace the fact that you you did it. Like, you won. And so, of course, you start to see the fans trickle down to the fence. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm at least very uh, appreciative that, you know, some universities would probably neglect things like what happened that night happen, where, like, Fans rushing the field, uh, the, the 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 students ripped down a field goal and carried it half a mile across campus and threw it in a pond. You know, those are the things that some universities might be like, no, like we can't let that happen. But like, that's part of this. Like, let's go. 
And I actually got in trouble. I didn't get in trouble, but when those students rushed the field, so as far as like the sideline goes, us kickers stood as far to the north end of the field as possible. So getting back to the locker room, I was one of the last people there and Coach Hoke was already giving his like Mac West title speech and I walked in late. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, just what, what a time. Like, uh, and what really sucks for the, uh, what really stinks for the team that just won the Mac a couple of years ago is I'm so doggone proud of coach new and that team and Brandon Martin, my boy, and a couple other kids that I coached, but they didn't get to experience the nostalgia of what we got in 08. I know I'm going off on a tangent here. I had the opportunity to at least get to watch ball state beat Western for the conference title to go to the Mac championship that year. Um, they opened the game to, you know, parents for kids. And I had players I coached who had tickets. So I snuck myself in. I was there for the, um, the, the lateral move that went viral. I don't know if you guys remember that. Though. Oh, yeah, of course. Of like course. Two minute lateral. Um, I was there for that in person and it was hilarious. I had so many people texting me about like, what happened? Like what's going on? Um, and what was really disappointing was, so I've got a group of, of three buddies that I'm actually going to see this weekend. Um, we, we all live, you know, elsewhere and we find twice a year to get together. Um, we had our, our, our plane tickets booked to go to the Mac championship then right then let's go. And of course, at the time, Michigan's governor was like, no, nobody's allowed in the stadium, blah, blah, blah. We were so pissed. Um, obviously couldn't be happier that ball state like find, found a way to finally get in in the hot in the seat and win it but it would have been so much sweeter if we could have been there as fans to like get to actually celebrate those players um obviously they'll they'll never forget that but they also never got to necessarily get the full experience that we like got in 08 and yeah 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 certainly and that's i, I that's something that until you just mentioned that i hadn't really considered that that you know back in the 2020 season, Ball State wins the title, but you played games in empty stadiums all season and even that MAC championship game. So you get to that loses a little bit of, of the atmosphere and the luster of it for sure. Although can't take that title away from them, but it's certainly, I, I understand what you're saying about missing out a little bit on, on the atmosphere and the, and the camaraderie of it. Well, uh, Ian, that'll, uh, that, that'll close us up here. That'll, that'll end up our conversation here. We really appreciate you stopping by tonight, man. It's, it's been a great, uh, love having you on, love talking, uh, love talking football with anybody, but especially from somebody that was on a, a MAC championship team uh, back in 2008. So everybody, he is Ian McGarvey, again, the all-time leading scorer in Ball State football history, uh, kicker from 2007 to 2010. Ian, thank you so much for doing this, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. And hey, Eastern Michigan, Next year, not this year, because this year it's in Muncie. But next year, if I'm still in Michigan, let let let's 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 hook up for the Eastern Ball State game. Oh yeah, absolutely! I'll definitely be there. And uh, Muncie's one of the you know the few venues I haven't made the trip down. I've been there for a non-game, so also you know in the future, if it is in Muncie, definitely uh, I'll make that trip as well. Heck yeah! Awesome. Good stuff. Well, hey, folks, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show, episode 93. Thank you for stopping by, as always, here and listening to the Mac Bandwagon podcast. Uh, thank you, Ian McGarvey, for stopping by and being our guest here tonight. He is Zach Banuenzi. I am Zach Follador. Thanks, as always, for stopping by this week, folks. We'll talk to you again next Friday. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the week. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you soon.